Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in the next few days, I'll be summarizing for you one year's worth of incredible water insights from the 52 experts that appeared on this microphone in 2021. I'm joined today by eight of them to discuss water reuse and resource recovery, which is at the same time an incredible opportunity and almost a necessity in many places around the globe. And before we let anyone object that wastewater is disgusting and shall be flushed away, I let let Dennis Moll get things straight. Waste does not exist in nature. Mm-hmm. There is no thing called waste in nature. Everything is a valuable building block natural resource. The first of these natural resources is probably simply the water inside wastewater. It sounds quite straightforward, yet as Alex Lukopoulos recalls... We recycle and reuse such a small percentage of our water, yet every headline every three days in August and September and October is of the lack of water on the west coast of the United States, right? We still see this paradox in many places. On the one hand, we desperately miss water with water scarcity on the rise. By 2025, two-thirds of the world's population may face water shortages. And on the other hand, we keep flushing wastewater away as if it was a single-use resource when indeed every single water droplet we drink went through a dinosaur at some point. Let's be clear, the reason why we behave that way has nothing to do with our technical capability to reuse or recycle water, as Jacob Bosser realized when working in Antarctica. I was thinking, if you can recycle water, because that's what I did, recycle the water in one of the most extreme environments in the world, you can do it anywhere. Water reuse might then also be too wide of a concept to stand alone. That's why we have to split it down further. There are usually three types of reuse. First, direct potable reuse. As the name states, you treat your wastewater up to drinking standards and put it back in the loop. That's what's sometimes called toilet to tap, which is a horrible marketing concept, if you ask me. Outside of extreme environments like the International Space Station or Antarctica, that's almost never used. Then you have indirect potable reuse. You also treat your water up to high standards, but instead of feeding it directly back in the loop, you use it for groundwater recharge or mix it up in raw water reservoirs as they do with new water in Singapore. This approach is the one you see beyond Singapore in California, Florida, Texas, and more and more of the water-scarce regions of this world. Finally, you have non-potable reuse, which is often called water reclamation. Those are all the great uses of water and can cover many use cases, as Dennis Moll recalls. If we're not looking at water fit for purpose, why do we need potable water to flush a toilet? We basically get 100% of our water from the municipality. We pay for that. The reality is that only 30 to 40% is true potable demand. That is really for drinking and ablution. This water reclamation is what you'll encounter when you use that water to flush your toilets, irrigate your crops, wash your car, and broadly speaking, use it in industry or agriculture. To give you a sense of magnitude, this shall cover 9% of our water needs if we want to provide water for all by 2030, which is about five times more than the total amount of water we expect to draw from desalination. Today, it is probably the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to where we want to feed reused water in the water cycle, which leads to a follow-up question. What is the best scale and place to close that loop? San Francisco became the first city in the country to actually legislate that all new large buildings have to do on-site water reuse. That was six years ago. 
There are now many more cities and many more states adopting on-site reuse as part of their long-term planning. In the use case Aaron Tartakovsky just cited, you're closing the loop in a building's basement. That way you can cover up to 95% of the water needs in cities and reshape the balance between central and distributed infrastructures. Then on the bigger scene, the usual suspect when it comes to where to reclaim water is logically the biggest user, as Ravid Levy recalls. One thing that we rarely talk about in this water market environment, maybe the most important by the quantity of water, which is irrigation or agriculture. Agriculture is the biggest user of water by far globally. I think about 70% of the global water use is going for irrigation. In countries like Israel, over 80% of wastewater is reclaimed for agricultural uses, as Ari Goldfarb explains. If you eat a watermelon in Israel, you are actually eating wastewater that's being reused. Given the size and impact of agriculture in the water cycle, that's also an opportunity to rethink how water is used there, as Mina Guli suggests. But the amount of water that gets used in agriculture is so massive. Even small amounts of saving can be very significant. And if you think about it, you know, moving from flood-based irrigation to drip irrigation, changing the way that pesticides are administered. Pesticides are often sprayed on with very large amounts of water, often have to get sprayed off with more water. There are ways that we can do things differently and, and smarter. We can do regenerative agriculture and help to store more water in the soil. We can cover our crops. We can use hydroponics. We can do so many different innovative solutions at large scale, corporate scale, and also at small scale. Now, agricultural reuse might still not be the best fit for every country, as it involves some prerequisites like a certain level of wastewater treatment, you won't just water your crops with untreated sewage outputs. And if you keep in mind that 80% of the world's wastewater is still not correctly managed as we speak, there's a way to go here. But moving on, there's a last water user we haven't covered, as Ravid Levy underlines. I understand that in some countries, reusing for Agriculture doesn't make much, much sense, but reusing for industry, for example, makes a lot of sense rather than using your limited freshwater resources to feed the same industry. Industry is using about 20% of our water resources today. To them, water is just another part of their bottom line and not the most exciting or interesting if you ask them, as Manaf Farhan confirms. In the past, industries have looked at wastewater as a tax or as a liability. They look at it as something that they have to pay money for to produce, to be in business, where you can actually now convert that liability into an asset. And that's part of the reason why we look at industrial wastewater, because it has high concentrations of BOD. It's effectively sugar water or it has, you know, milk waste and it has other byproducts in it that are organic based. It's food waste that we're going to convert into energy. In industry, water reuse can actually be transformative. Because if you recall that wastewater contains seven to ten times the energy needed to treat it, it opens an opportunity for energy energy-positive wastewater treatment processes. So beyond the pure opportunity to reuse the water retained in wastewater, there's now also a chance to leverage what it contains in short feed loops inside an industrial site. Ravid Levy says nothing else. We keep on saying water energy nexus. I don't think we realize enough how closely those things are, are related. Wastewater reuse is hence an opportunity to feed more water into the small water cycle, a potential energy source as a bioresource factory, and even more, as Aaron Tartakovsky underlines. We turn wastewater into three outputs. One is recycled water. Two is organic soil amendments. The third piece is recovered wastewater heat. 
by our calculations, there's enough energy being lost through wastewater heat to power every single electric vehicle on the road in the United States right now. In conclusion, the technical requirements to enable all of this are fulfilled in most use cases today and swiftly progressing when it comes to advanced resource streams like phosphor recovery or hydrogen production. The market driver is also very clear, with humanity theoretically missing 40% of the water it needs to thrive in 2030. So the two last obstacles that are still in the way are first the overall perception of water and especially wastewater, as we'll cover soon in our deep dive on the water stories we tell, and second, the economic balance of wastewater reuse. As long as the bad behavior keeps being incentivized in the sense that you can abstract ground or surface water resources for a fraction of the wastewater reuse cost, even if that's highly unsustainable, that will represent a hinder to the development of virtuous reuse loops. But you know all of that because you sure already listened to the first part of this yearly synthesis that specifically covered the price and value of water. If you haven't yet, check it out. Did you like this deep dive? <laughs> then tell it to your friends and colleagues and share that episode. Changing people's perception of wastewater reuse is a team sport. So the more we push the message, the better our chances of it getting picked up. If you'd like to further explore the topic, listen to my full interviews with each of the experts featured in the synthesis. All the links are, of course, in the description. Last but not least, if you haven't done it yet, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform so that you don't miss the next leg in our journey, which will be about telling better water stories. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>